sermon is technically a standalone, but it really serves as a nice exclamation point to our mission series. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the letter of Philippians, and we're going to consider together what we see about partnership in mission, so beyond our local church here, in this letter. So we're, we're kind of, we've kind of concluded that mission series, but we're going to take one more peek at it this morning as we consider specifically how does mission look like, what does mission look like beyond the doors of Providence. So with that in mind, let me pray first, and then we'll look at the text. Lord, you are an infinite God, and you are infinitely, eternally, massively active in this world in in a million ways that we are completely unaware of. Even here at Providence, you are active in so many ways that we are just oblivious to. Your grace is present. Your power is at work. Your strength is active in the midst of our weaknesses. And so, Lord, we, we sit this morning in awe of you, the God who saves, the God who works to redeem a people for himself. We are grateful for it this morning, Lord. But we also want to consider a picture and a glimpse of how you are at work, not just at Providence, but beyond Providence, in the midst of our partnership with Sovereign Grace Ministries. And Lord, we would not be so arrogant as to think that Sovereign Grace Ministries has a corner on the market of your work in the world. We are a small, small piece of your great work to make much of your great name. And so, Lord, we consider it a privilege to play our small role. But God, I ask now that in the book of Philippians, in this letter, you would show us the significance and the nature of partnership. You would show us how Paul viewed partnership, and I pray that you would affect us by that. Stir up in us a greater desire to be actively engaged in partnership for the advance of the gospel, for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Well, look with me at Philippians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3, Paul writes this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole lot going on in the letter of Philippians, and we are just dipping into a few verses, six verses at the very beginning of that letter. There's so much more that could be said about this letter and even about this passage this morning. But what we do see here is Paul pushing into focus the significance of partnership in mission. That there is a calling for churches, local churches, just like us, just like Providence, to be engaged intentionally and sacrificially with other churches, with other people, for the advance of the gospel for the glory of Christ. So, 
we're watching mission videos for three Sundays. And in doing that, we're going to drop into a mission letter. This is a letter from the missionary Paul to one of the churches who form a cornerstone of support for his mission endeavor. To Philippi, a city marked by one of the most faithful churches Paul knows. So that's what we're going to focus our attention on this morning. What does Paul show us about partnership in mission? I want to show us four things from the text that we learn about our partnership. And then in conclusion, we're going to watch the second installment of our mission videos for Sovereign Grace Ministries. So what does Paul show us about partnership and mission? Well, first, Paul shows us that partnership elicits thanksgiving. It elicits thanksgiving. Now, I want to start as well with a quote from Peter O'Brien, a gifted New Testament scholar who writes this. Paul mentions the subject of thanksgiving in his letters more often, line for line, than any other Hellenistic author, pagan or Christian. That's a stunning statement. The apostles' thanksgiving terms consistently express the notion of gratitude, which finds outward and often public expression in thanksgiving. By mentioning what God has graciously done in His Son, other Christians are encouraged to thank Him also. As thanksgivings abound, so God is glorified. The grounds for the offering of thanks are wide-ranging, from personal expression of gratitude offered to Christ for showing mercy to Paul, to the triumph over sin and death which Christ has effected on behalf of His people, and to the ultimate gift of God's Son that we celebrate in this season as we approach Christmas. Bottom line, Paul makes a big deal about gratitude and giving thanks. You could say Paul oozes gratitude. And this letter to the Philippians is no exception. In fact, in a lot of ways, this letter to the Philippians, if you read all of Paul's letters, one of the things that marks this letter as unique is I think it probably shows Paul and his gratefulness at its zenith. Here we see Paul at his most thankful. Philippians 1.3, he starts out, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. You hear all the, the massive encompassing words there? I thank my God in every remembrance, always, in every prayer for all of you. In fact, this entire letter, if you were to describe it, one of the descriptions you would give of the letter to the church in Philippi is that it's really almost an extended thank you note. It's a long thank you note of Paul writing to a key church, a key contributor to his ministry, writing to thank them and encourage them to continue in their support of him. He offers, in all of his letters, wide-ranging reasons for thanksgiving, right? That's what Peter O'Brien showed us. But in the opening, in the prayer we see in Philippians, we see Paul expressing a very particular reason for gratitude. So the doctor of gratitude in the New Testament here in Philippians shows us this, that he is thankful, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. To encounter Paul is to encounter a grateful man. And here it is gratitude growing out of the knowledge that he has partners, local churches, who support him in the advance of the gospel. I had a mentor once who was 
famous for saying on as many occasions as he could mention it, happy is the man who is grateful. Happy is the man who's grateful. To have a grateful heart is to have a heart that's filled with joy. Paul was a grateful man. Paul was a joyful man. And part of Paul's source for his joy and his gratefulness, his happiness in Christ, was knowing that there were churches that partnered with him. His gratitude is the concrete care and concern Philippi has shown for him personally and for his ministry. He calls their involvement partnership. And the word is actually koinonia. It's that, it's that word that, if there's any Greek word people know, it's, koinonia is probably at the top of the list. It's that word for fellowship, right? Well, here it gets rendered partnership or participation because it's more than just a fellowship of believers getting together and sharpening each other. It's an active engagement with one another for a common goal. So, so what are the details of this partnership between the church in Philippi and Paul? Well, consider this. Paul and Silas, with assistance from Timothy, planted this church. And in fact, the church in Philippi is a historic church. It is the very first Christian congregation on the continent of Europe. It's pretty massive stuff, right? Europe, which has been one of the linchpins of advancing the gospel in the last 2,000 years, and this is the first European church. And and from here, Paul goes on to plant the church at Thessalonica, and from there to go on and plant the church in Corinth. It's during this initial missionary work in Philippi that Acts recounts that incredible conversion of Lydia. Remember Lydia? The entrepreneurial woman, the seller of dyes. And it says, here's Lydia, this God-fearer who would attend the synagogue, and upon hearing Paul proclaim the gospel in Philippi, Acts says, God opened her heart to believe. We hear the amazing testimony of the Philippian jailer. Remember, you got Paul and Silas. They get thrown in prison. They're sitting there that late night prayer vigil. They're, They're praying. They're singing songs. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall to see and experience what was going on there as the other prisoners watch and observe these two men chained and fettered, praising God. And the Spirit drops. And the whole building is shook by an earthquake. And the doors of the jail spring open. And their chains fall off. And the jailer rushes in, assuming the prisoners have escaped. Ready to kill himself. Knowing he'll be put to death if they have escaped. And they say, no, we're all here. And seeing what he sees in Paul and Silas, he and his entire household are converted. Paul, when he leaves Philippi, he asks Luke that Luke, to stay and remain and lead the congregation. When he continues on to Thessalonica, he continues to receive prayer and encouragement and financial support from this church. During his 18 months in Corinth, when he's there building the church and advancing the gospel in that major Greek city, that support and those prayers continued. And as we consider a few weeks ago, when we thought about and looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that collection that Paul engages on for those beleaguered Judean Christians. Remember, he he exhorts the Corinthians that the grace of God stirs up sacrificial generosity. Who does he use as an example? The Macedonians. You know where Macedonia is? You know what's at the heart of Macedonia? Philippi. That's this church. 
These are the people who in the midst of that great hardship and affliction and their significant lack themselves overflow with generosity. You hear the affection he talks about them in that letter to the Corinthians? That's this church. And when Paul brings that collection to Jerusalem, he becomes imprisoned by his opponents. Two years in prison in Jerusalem, and then he's finally shipped off to Rome to await await trial before the emperor and waits in a prison for another year. This church in Philippi increased their efforts. The poor, struggling church raised a large monetary gift to send to Paul and to encourage him. And so in light of all this, Paul gives us a great example. Partnership should elicit our gratitude. We, as Paul is, should be thankful that we have partners in gospel ministry. What does our partnership look like with Sovereign Grace Ministries? This is a brief, incomplete list that I thought of as I was thinking through the sermon. Here's what Providence's partnership with Sovereign Grace has meant for us. This should be things that mark our gratitude. Sovereign Grace Church in Pasadena sent Matthew Hoffman, the founding pastor, to the pastor's college. They paid his way to the pastor's college, and they paid off his seminary debt. A massive stroke of generosity from a church all the way on the coast of California. Sovereign Grace Ministries then sent Matthew Hoffman to Kansas City. They funded the church plant. Providence exists because there is a partnership existing with Sovereign Grace. Men like Steve Shank and Craig Cabanis and now Rick Gamash for 10 years have extended care for this church as they've cared for its pastors. During the transition from Matthew Hoffman to me, we had to raise that transition fund to bridge the gap. Remember bringing on an extra pastor? Sovereign Grace generously, graciously gave $15,000. Sovereign Grace paid half of my salary for a residency that was supposed to be two to six months and ended up being two years. It's not an exaggeration at all to say that I am here in large part because of our partnership with Sovereign Grace Ministries. Hannah and I are aware. We are thankful for Sovereign Grace. When we look out at all of you and are thankful for you and, and we look at you and, and our, our hearts are stirred, there is also a stirring of gratitude that Sovereign Grace made it possible for us to come here and be with you all. The songs we sing on Sunday mornings, many of them them are songs written by songwriters funded by Sovereign Grace Ministries, songs that lift high the cross of Christ and celebrate the riches of the gospel. We're going to see at the end a sampling of testimonies that represent dozens of churches Providence, in her partnership with Sovereign Grace, think about this, has played a role in every church planted, in every pastor trained in the last 10 years. Every pastor that went to the pastor's college has a fingerprint of Providence in gospel partnership upon their ministry. Every church that was planted, every church that received a pastor, Providence has been a part of the story of God's grace. We should be thankful for our partnership. As I know Sovereign Grace would tell us, they are thankful 
for our partnership. That's the first thing we see partnership does for the purpose of mission. The second thing we see is that partnership safeguards endurance. Partnership safeguards our endurance. It's not merely the reason that Paul is thankful. It's also, as we see in this passage, one of the reasons he has confidence that this church in Philippi will continue in their faithfulness, that they will continue to endure until the end. Verse 6, in the context of gospel partnership and Paul's thankfulness for it, he writes this, I am sure of this. Paul doesn't throw words around lightly. He is sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a well-known verse, right? Have you ever thought of that verse as it connects to the significance of gospel partnership and ministry? God's grace and His unwavering faithfulness is always the source of endurance. It's always the source of the fact that believers persevere to the end. Believers don't remain steadfast because of anything owing to ourselves. It's not because we're strong, right? Likewise, faithful churches aren't smarter. They're not more committed than other churches. Whether it's a believer or a group of believers in a local church, endurance happens because people are deeply indebted to God's grace. Salvation is all of grace from beginning to end. But the necessity of God's grace for endurance is served in the way that partnership functions. Another way of saying that is one of the means by which God extends grace to help believers and churches endure and remain steadfast is through the grace and the gift of partnership. Listen how Paul elaborates on his confidence that they will endure. This is why Paul has confidence that this church that he holds so dear will continue. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you, to have this confidence, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul has confidence the Philippians will endure to the end because they are co-partakers of grace. Their participation and constant support of Paul, whatever the circumstances, formed an external and visible assurance that they would endure. Because the Philippian congregation has committed themselves to an active, sacrificial involvement in ministry, Paul says the Philippians were now sharing God's grace in the work of the gospel. Their partnership is both an evidence of God's grace at work, they're partnering because God's grace is happening, right? And it's a practical way that they stay connected to that same grace. It's an evidence of grace, and it's a means of grace. God makes His sustaining strength available to His people as His people link arms with one another in partnership. We weren't meant to walk alone. God strengthens us as we strategically connect ourselves with other churches. And so that connection with its support and prayers and encouragement and accountability becomes a means of God's grace as we labor to advance that same grace through gospel ministry. I think a few weeks back, earlier in November, we had a Sunday where we paused and considered the persecuted church, right? We considered what it meant 
to pray for the persecuted church. And you remember the video we showed from Voice of the Martyrs about Bunchan, that Laotian pastor? It was a moving video, but one of the parts that was the most moving, here's this man, I think he'd been in prison for what, like eight or ten years? And there's that moment when they bring him before the guards and he's been alone, without a Bible, imprisoned. And the guards start yelling at him. Who are these people writing you these letters? And they dump the box of letters on the table and they show the image of Bunchan's face. just lights up. There are others who partner with me. There are others who pray. There are others who know of my difficulties. I am not alone. That was a moving testimony of the grace of partnership. Partnership strengthens and safeguards our endurance. It also highlights another thing. Partnership often isn't easy. Our third point shows us that partnership is something that surmounts difficulty. If it's real partnership, if it's true partnership, it overcomes difficult circumstances. The partnership in Philippi is one that is filled with difficulty. You have, on one hand, trials facing the church. They've got physical needs and poverty. Remember, he even talks about that in the letter to Corinthians, right? In 2 Corinthians, talks about their extreme affliction, their severe lack. They also face opposition. There's an increasing persecution from the authority and the city and the culture around them. They are becoming more aggravated in their opposition to Jesus and to the gospel. And in fact, Judaizers are now, in addition to the persecution of the secular world, Judaizers have come to Philippi to seek to undo Paul's work. We'll see, if we were to continue in this letter later, those same men who went into Galatia and perverted the gospel and brought a gospel message of salvation by works have now arrived in Philippi. And so they face within their own midst, false teachers. And if that wasn't enough, the church's own leadership is now plagued with dissension and selfishness and disagreements. The leaders of this beleaguered congregation are now fighting amongst themselves. On the other hand, we have Paul, the other side of that partnership. Verse 7, he writes... For you are, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is imprisoned for a year in Rome following a two-year imprisonment in Jerusalem. These aren't like American jails. There's no cable TV in Paul's prison. There's no yard time in Paul's prison. You sit in fetters. You sit on dirty straw. If you disobey, you're beaten. If you don't follow instructions, you get the whip. On both sides of these relationships, there are immense hardships. In light of this, the Philippian church says decides... Let's send Epaphroditus, one of their their best leaders, one of their brightest. Let's send Epaphroditus with a gift to encourage Paul. And then we'll ask Paul to keep Epaphroditus with him there to serve him. 
That way it would free up Paul to send Timothy to us. That Timothy, who helped plant the church, can guide us through all of these difficult circumstances. Well, Paul's difficulty is too great, and so he can't bear parting with Timothy at this point in time. He needs Timothy with him as he prepares his defense of the gospel. He needs an acute theological mind as they consider together how they will best present Christ and Him crucified before the emperor. And so the reason we see the letter of Philippians is this is Paul's solution to a multi-pronged problem. How do I encourage this church in their difficulty? How do I thank them for their generosity and their partnership? How do I rebuke their sin where I see it? Their, their, their lack of unity, their divisiveness. How do I protect their doctrine as the wolves and Judaizers enter into their midst? How do I comfort them in their own affliction? What we see in the letter of Philippians is the importance of partnership. But in the course of this letter, and when we are mindful of its background, any idyllic notions about the ease or the bliss of gospel partnership, any pie-in-the-sky notions, oh, partnership, they're stripped away. Philippians is a beautiful letter. But it reminds us that mission is gritty work. It's cross-bearing work. That gospel proclamation, both for Paul and this local congregation, is a dangerous duty. And it is costly. That doctrinal fidelity and faithfulness are a battle. And we see in this letter, mindful of the realities of the difficulty of that task, that partnership is crucial. And partnership is not easy or clean or convenient. It is messy and hard and usually occurs with a mixed bag of discouraging setbacks and encouraging movement, moments of success. That's, that's the nature of normal partnership. What we see in this relationship, this, this fellowship, this participation between Paul and Philippi, is that true partnership surmounts and overcomes and triumphs over difficulties. Partnership is necessary. It is something to be promoted and protected. But when difficulty comes, partnership shows its true colors. In the same way that trials refine faith, trials refine partnership. Paul, Paul knows the Philippians are concerned for him. I love the way that he reassures them. He, he doesn't seek to, to encourage them and to, and to stoke up their joy in Christ by telling them, hey, don't worry about me. Everything's fine. Keep on in our partnership because things are going great. That's not what he does. He can't do that. Things aren't fine. He's in jail. Instead, he assures them that even in the midst of difficulty, because of partnership, the gospel is bearing fruit. In verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is really no big deal. No. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, the shackles on my wrists, the deep scars upon my back, that has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's a stunning verse. The authenticity of his fellowship with the Philippian church, Paul says, is a matter of sharing God's grace at work in the gospel. So they participate with Paul in his chains. They're suffering with him, even in the midst of darkness. And Paul says, because you fellowship with me and partner with me and participate with me, because of that, the Roman imperial guard, the Praetorian guard, they are hearing Christ and they are believing. When they send the gift to encourage Paul, and I just love this about the church in Philippi. In the same way you, you read about in, in 2 Corinthians, this, this church that's facing persecution and difficulties and their own poverty, giving sacrificially in this overwhelming display of generosity. Right? Remember that in Corinthians? I mean, what, if that was all we knew about the churches of Macedonia, all we knew about Philippi, wouldn't you just love this church? Wouldn't you want to be like them? But here, we see that they continue. They send a gift to encourage Paul. So, so they gave a gift already, right? Sacrificially, beyond their means. Paul says they, they gave to their means and beyond their means because they wanted to be debtors to grace. What happens with that gift? Paul takes the gift, brings it to Jerusalem, delivers it to the Judean Christians, and he gets thrown in jail. I think your average church at that point thinks, what a sucky partnership. We just sacrificed to send this guy with help. And he arrives and he gets thrown in prison. Paul's our man. You, you go brag about who you're in partnership. We're in partnership with Paul. Isn't he that dude that's been in jail for like three years? This same impoverished church now sends Paul a gift. When they send the gift, before they receive the letter back, they don't know anything about what's happening other than the fact that Paul is imprisoned. So out of their poverty, they give again. And they have zero knowledge of any of the fruit that's being born in Rome. Their ongoing commitment to Paul is remarkable because they stand by him even in the midst of what appears to be a failing ministry. The guy is in prison. But they value their partnership to such a degree that they send a gift to encourage him. That's a church to emulate. Difficulty doesn't undo our commitments. It incites them. It stirs them up. It refines the nature of how we consider our partnership in the gospel. Finally, last point before we watch the video. Partnership is meant to strengthen affection. Paul's letters are always talking about his gratitude. We, we looked at the Peter O'Brien quote earlier in the message. Well, what's unique about this letter isn't just that the whole letter itself is so filled with gratitude, but it's that there's this tone of joy and affection. And that's saying something because Paul talks about joy all the time. But if you didn't know I was preaching from this passage and I was just talking with you in conversation and said, 
Where would you go in the Bible to, to talk about joy or to look at a place where the New Testament speaks of our joy in Christ? Chances are the passages that would come to mind as you think of that are passages found in this letter. From the very beginning, Paul says in verse 4 that he thanks God and all of his remembrances of us and that he prays for this church with joy. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Translated into modern day language, my hand is on the Bible. I swear to God, I yearn for you with the love of Jesus. When Paul writes the letter in the opening verses, you know what we don't see? It's a glaring omission. There's no Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's missing. You see Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Paul doesn't have to talk about his authority because in Philippi, he's loved. The letter is an intimate correspondence to a congregation he planted and cherishes and considers a vital associate in his ministry. Now, none of us know this. Paul's in here to, to query and ask, but I don't know if Paul has favorites. And, you know, you ask anybody, what's your favorite something or other? And well, who's your favorite child? Nobody's saying, oh, this is my favorite child, right? People don't operate that way. You don't, and I think if you ask Paul, he would consider, he even says, he considers his church as his children. So did Paul have favorites? I don't know. If you asked him, is he going to own up to a favorite? Probably not. But I have a suspicion, if you really could see into Paul's heart, while he might not say the church in Philippi is his favorite, there is without question a special fatherly affection he holds for this church. Their abiding connection serves as a foundation, a cornerstone, a bulwark for Paul in the midst of his imprisonment. He says that he finds joy he finds joy. He is made happy in the midst of his own adversity. He's happy as horrible things are happening to him. He finds joy that exceeds the nature of his circumstances. Why? Because he considers the commitment of this church to him. My life is a mess right now. And I have joy because I know that you, Philippi, are partnered with me. You stand by me. I'm encouraged by your faith. I'm encouraged by your commitment to me and my ministry as I sit in chains. And then he labors in this letter to stir up greater joy for the Philippians in their own adversity. And he does that by reminding them, I love you. I hold you in my heart. I love you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Last week, an example of our partnership. On my desk, it's an envelope. Sovereign Grace Church, in Gilbert, Arizona. Crack it open, I read inside a note. Another Sovereign Grace Church, just letting me know, letting us know, we have been praying for you. You've been in our prayers. We cherish our partnership. We have interceded for you. We have lifted you up before the Father of all mercies 
asking that he would bestow blessings upon you in the name of Jesus Christ. Partnership strengthens affection. It's a whole lot easier to remain isolated. It is a lot easier to be disconnected from other churches, nose to the grindstone with what we're doing here. We think of this mission series we just got through. That's what we're about. That's who we are. We could jump out of that and just become concerned and consumed with what providence is called to do. Oblivious to any mission beyond our walls or beyond our community. But one of the great aspects of partnership, of our partnership with Sovereign Grace, is that it prevents us from becoming ingrown. And in the process, Paul says, he shows us, partnership expands our capacity to love. Not just to love other churches, and not even just to love Christ more, but to love one another more. Follow along in verse 27. So later in the same chapter. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absence. So if I finally get out of prison and can come to you or if I'm stuck here in jail. I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see and hear his exhortations to unity to a church. It's got infighting. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Engaged in the same conflict, although in a different location, partnered with me in ministry and suffering the same afflictions that come with being on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, any affection, I think he's talking about affection for Him, any sympathy for Him as He sits in chains, complete my joy, Paul's joy, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul expects that partnership will increase love. That it will increase love for him, and that it will increase love for other churches, and that it will increase love in Philippi for one another. And in doing all of that, he expects and prays this, immediately following our passage in verse 9. And it is my prayer, in light of partnership, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is confident that the selfless actions of their partnering with Him will serve to expand their love for other churches, for each other, and for Christ. He expects that the grace and spillover of selflessness will be renewed unity and warmth. And so Paul promotes to them 
and exhorts them to cherish their partnership.